What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We are on episode 80, and we got a good one today. On today's episode, Dimitri and I sit down and go to Buck School with Steve Shirk from Shirk Guide Service. We're hoping this is just part one, and we'll have another opportunity to record part two and cover the topics that we miss in this conversation. However, in this episode, Steve shares what he is doing right now for his scouting approach that will set him up for a very successful fall. Other topics covered are buck bedding, hunting approach to logging, roads, clear cuts, how and why he sets up mock scrapes now, clustering cameras in the bedding areas, and the rut shift. We sure hope this one fires you up for deer season as much as it did for us. We greatly appreciate Steve for taking the time out to speak with us and cannot wait for part two in the near future. So sit back, enjoy this fun episode. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a few discount codes that will help you save some money and get ready for the upcoming hunting season. Elk Collective, the virtual elk hunting resource, and use code PODCAST to save $30 today at elkcollective.com. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly innovative and science-based products to save the hunter time, spend scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. New things are on the horizon, so use code ANTLERUP to save 25% off your Spartan Forge membership at spartanforge.ai. Also, I want to take the time to thank our partners over at Shea Butler Knives. Shea makes custom everyday carry knives with the Rhino in pursuit. His Ranger and Whitetail and Featherlight knives are amazing for anything, but especially out in the field. Shea's creativity, high-quality materials, functional but unique design, coupled with his precise leather work, makes products that will last a lifetime. Awesome person, awesome family, great, great products. Check out SheaButlerKnives.com. I would like to thank our partners over at Tether. Teach and train tours are still popping up across the states this summer, so be sure to go check them out and sign up. We're going to actually be hosting one right here in Central PA at the West Branch Sportsman's Club, August 22nd. There will actually be a 3D shoot first, and then we'll begin the teach and train tour. We'll hash out the time here soon, but come shoot some foam, see what Tethered is all about. Signups for this specific event will be up shortly. Until then, check out tethernation.com. This past weekend, I received my America's Best Bowstring Platinum Series strings for my Prime Nexus 4, and this was the first opportunity for me to work in my at-home bow shop setup. These strings are not only look amazing, but the quality is unmatched. First shot through paper, and we had a perfect bull hole. Now it's time to put in your order for a new set of strings on your bow. Hand-built here in the USA since 2006. Go create a custom set today, americasbestbowstrings.com. So everybody, hey, we're back for another episode. We're live. We got Steve Shirk on the other line. Steve from Shirk Guide Services. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on. Good. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, we're, we're excited. I know, man, it's it's something where people are talking about bucks here in Pennsylvania. Your name is always associated with it in some <laughs> in some fashion. So it's uh, it's an honor to have you on and actually, you know, drop some knowledge bombs for everybody and help, you know, just help everybody out and talk of getting ready for the season. Now's the time when I think everybody i mean for us and i'm sure for you i i just saw your post that you posted an hour ago it's deer's always on our mind like you know our wives <laughs> drives us nuts and uh you know i know you got some little ones and we both have some 
kids and now they're at the age, yep. you know, my daughter's seven, so she's getting ready to be, uh, I'm taking her out this year and, and introducing her to, to hunting and she's ecstatic. And Dimitri has two, two little boys They're you know, not even one and, and two. So they're on their way. And I know you're excited and pumped for that, but I know, like you said, you have your little boy coming out with you and, and doing all types of stuff right now, but that's awesome. Oh. All right, Steve. So I want to fire some questions at you, man. And <laughs> let's, let's get right into it. Right. Right now. I want to know you, you have the variety of individuals that toss out trail cameras right at the end of the season, keep them up all year long. There's benefits to that. And, you know, there's other individuals that, you know, wait until June, wait until July. And, you know, everybody has their, their thing of what they're capable of because of work, all that stuff. What, are you doing right now like what is your approach from here on out so we're talking middle july where are you at mm -hmm. in your approach for scouting currently for summer to set you up for success in the fall yeah um i mean really a lot of what summer is is you know seeing what bucks are going to be going into the fall um you can't always predict the, where they're at in the summer they're going to be in the fall some do some don't and it's kind of like, uh, you know, just seeing what what they're developing into. You know, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy when it comes to score. But then again, you know, we all like something <laughs> with a pretty good set antlers. So, you know, it's really the summertime um, is almost like that pick and choose. Like, what am I going to go after? What am I going to pursue? Because you can find a deer in like postseason in that and yeah, he might've made it, you know, after the season, but I mean, these are wild animals and you know, they're, he could get hit by a car, killed by a coyote or whatever. So, you know, you can't just uh, be for sure that, you know, what you found in March or April is going to be there now. So it's just, you know, keeping tabs on them and just kind of picking out what I think I'm going to pursue this coming season. Nice. Now, with a lot of bucks in the, the summer month, and, and we know, like you said, if, if they're going to be there or, you know, are they going to move on once they shed that velvet, what have you seen yeah. kind of in your experience of, uh, you know, when they do separate and then kind of get away from those bachelor groups? And maybe it's an area that you've seen some deer come back in the summer months and then they kind of disappear in the fall. You know, have you seen those deer, you know, is there a certain distance that they're kind of traveling, you know, especially for us, like where we hunt uh, bigger mountain country. Right. Um, so there's mm -hmm. not like there's ag fields or, you know, and, and we're on a, a pretty large uh, public ground as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like they're, they're moving on to the private property, probably a lot of them, you know, is there a certain distance or, you know, if you're trying to find where that buck's going after he sheds that velvet, you know, um, how would you go about that in, in your scouting? or what have you seen on your trail cameras to kind of combat at that if you find a deer you want to go after? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, factors that come in, you know, into play with that. Like, some of it's the habitat. Um, it's got to be habitat that's conducive to summer and fall. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, uh, you know, exactly where you hunt or where a lot of the listeners hunt, but um, say if it was like, uh, if you had a situation where you had just like a lot of like grass or forb type browse, and then you start to get some cold weather, maybe late September, early October, and then that stuff starts to die off. Then you got mass crops dropping a mile or two away. I mean, things like that are going to 
factor into some of these deer leaving. Uh, another thing that I see happen is if there's like a big bachelor group of bucks, um, you know, I think too many bucks in an area in the summer uh, tends to be a problem coming into fall because, you know, some bucks, you know, especially mature bucks can be loners or, you know, they start to become territorial once, the, you know, the velvet drops. So, uh, you know, then they're kicking each other out. I mean, so if you have a lot of bucks in an area, sometimes that's actually a bad thing in the summer. You think, oh, this area is going to be loaded come fall. And it, a lot of times turns into the, you know, to the opposite. Um, but honestly, what I really try to do is it's not like, uh, you know, I find a new deer in the summertime and then I'm going to go pursue them in the fall. Usually the deer I hunt is a deer I got, you know, two, three, four years history with, and I'm starting to connect the dots and learn his home range. Um, that usually, you know, like I always say, I, I don't always hunt the biggest deer that I get on camera, but I hunt the deer that I know the best. So, you know, just after years of observing and scouting certain bucks, I, you know, those are the ones I plan to pursue as long as, like I said, it's, I'm not, I'm not the craziest guy about score, but you know, if something really drastically turns into like from a 130 or 140 down to a 90 or a hundred incher, then, you know, as long as nothing major happens <laughs> to his head here, I'll, I'll continue to go after him. Yeah. You brought up a great point about, you know, you see a, a new deer on camera, like for us, like right now we've. I would say we have a deer on camera now for the last two summers and mm -hmm. come fall, we haven't really laid our eyes on him at all. And he's a really tall, yeah. tall uh, rack right now currently. And he seems bigger, obviously bigger this year than he has been the last two. And, you know, like that was the one thing I was excited for just because we walk around that whole area a lot and you know we're trying to find like, these buck bedding area and just like where he's spending his days even like now and yeah. uh, it, it's tough just to try yeah. to find because like you said it's like dimitri said earlier even though where we are hunting on big big area there's access to people and other uh side by sides and just stuff like from all over the place so to try to find him has, has been yeah. a, has been a nice cat and mouse game for us to, to pin him <laughs> down for sure and, and I mean, he may be shifting five miles. I've, yeah. I can't say a lot of them do that, but you know, I, I wouldn't be real surprised. I've, I've seen when it comes to bucks and whitetails in general, nothing really surprises me anymore. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot. So you know, I've seen bucks shift five, seven miles many times or some bucks, you know, once they break from bachelor groups get incredibly spooky and they stick to themselves and they, they find remote thick areas or, you know, they're just summer deer are a little bit easier to get on camera than, you know, going into fall and that, and, you know, then once hunting season starts. So, I mean, it's, I wish, and I'm not saying you're even asking me, but there could be 50 reasons to why you're, you haven't found them yet. Uh, but I mean, you know, he's out there and, you know, just try a few things different going into this season and just got to keep after him. That's all. Yeah. Now, when you talk about buck bedding, uh, Steve, you, other than yeah. obviously the, you know, for, for deer in general in a habitat, obviously you're looking for the cover, the water and the food sources, yeah. you know, other than those three major things, like what are you keying in on? Like, you could either talk about it from a digital standpoint, you know, from, from the computer e-scouting. And then when you yeah. get boots on the ground, what are the, the key 
things that you're looking at? I know like I've seen you even on a video talking about hemlocks and all that type of stuff. Like what are, what are some, some uh, features like first hit that, that scouting on the computer and then talk about when you get your boots on the ground. Yep. Um, I mean, well, honestly, um, I don't do a lot of like e-scouting. The reason why is for one, I, I just know my area extremely well. I mean, I, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been able to grow up in a certain area and still live there till today. And, you know, I've been roaming these woods ever since I, I don't know, four or five years old, or I can't even remember when I first started going out with my dad. I was so young. So, I mean, these woods that I hunt, they're just so, uh, it's, it's like my backyard, even though it's such a big area, you know? So, I don't really have to do a ton of e-scouting. I think e-scouting is great. I, you know, a great starting point though. Um, but you know, really what I do is, you know, and I know probably a lot of people have heard me say this, but 90% of the buck bedding I find is in the higher elevations, like, you know, the upper third or even higher. I'm usually, you know, up high, um, in cover, uh, you know, like like you brought up when you want to find actual beds and you have cover if you have hemlock or pine inside of that cover there's almost every time going to be a bed under you know under under that pine or hemlock or evergreen whatever you have um but i mean you'd just be surprised it's a lot harder than than what it sounds like i go through a lot of good area too that you think oh you know there's (laughs) You got the cover, everything just seems prime. And there's just so much woods here that, you know, there's so many, there's so much ground here. And I make it seem like there's a buck on or giant on every ridge when that's the furthest thing from the truth that, you know, a lot of my scouting is just eliminating ground. Sometimes you go into an area and not seeing what I want to see and you just cross it off the list. But, you know, I, like I said, buck bedding that I find 90% of the time up high in cover uh, usually near an elevation drop, um, you know, looking down over a ledge or something like that, yeah. but just a lot of boots on the ground, man. Yeah. So like the one thing that I, I, we have, have done more so recently too, is, you know, almost like putting ourselves in that buck's bed when we do find that sure. situation and saying, okay, here's the advantage. He has the view point of either looking down yep. below him and he could jump backwards or, you know, he has yep. that ability to, if, if the wind's coming over his back, he smells, he could di- dive right over. I mean, I think about the spot where we go and especially your, your dad goes and hunts, uh, you know, later season and with the rifle, mm-hmm. that's the one thing that we've done more. So the last two, three years when we're scouting and just coming up with that game plan of like, okay, you know, if, even if we put up the camera now, we don't get anything on camera. Once the season rolls around, when we do like those bucks moving in and, you know, we could kind of, we've kind of come up with that game plan by that way. Yep. And to kind of just cut in on that point, like, you know, if a guy's summer scouting and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of bucks located in the summer and then say you, you feel you found a good area and you put cameras there and, you know, nothing's showing up, but it's got all the prime ingredients to, to host a good buck. Just leave your camera there because once those bachelor groups break, uh, something can easily and very likely move into those spots. You know, the bucks are just kind of in a cluster, small type range right now, but all of a sudden, you know, in another month or two, everything's just going to blow up and, you know, they're going to be scattered and, and find him in a lot more places. 
a lot of people that are listening to this and, and maybe a lot of people that are out there scouting may wonder, what are you considering a buck bed, right? What are you looking for? How do you know that that's a buck bed? Are you just trying to find a bed that's no other beds nearby? Is it the where it is on the ridge? How are you identifying that as a, a buck bed? Yep. Um, well, some people think that, you know, a buck has his bed, which he does, but usually it's several beds within an area or maybe all along a certain ridge. Um, the buck beds I find, um, you'll notice there's always, it's always like the best vantage point in a spot. Um, he's going to, he's going to pick out a spot where he knows that, okay, I'm in this area and for sure that wind thermals visual like this is the best spot for me to lay down this is the most safest secure spot in this area that you know that i can you know lay down and hide for that day so uh you'll notice like i said that you're going to see those kind of features when you find these beds and then but it's also important to realize sometimes i'll see buck bedding and i'll see several beds even like uh within sight of one bed, but they're all big lone beds. Right. Usually doe bedding, a little bit smaller bedding, you know, beds, clusters of beds. They don't tend to get the best of the best spots. So, and every now and then I'm wrong though. Sometimes it's some big lone doe or, you know, a, a lesser dominant buck. Um, the only way to really confirm is to put cameras up in those areas. But the more you, scout buck bedding and you know the more experience you get with it your your guesstimates per se um most of the time i'm right now when i do when i do come upon a spot like that so nice now are you looking for buck beds is there a certain time of the year or is it more when you get closer to the season once those batcher groups break up and kind of see what what bucks are going to be consider that their home for the fall or are you looking, you know, postseason and, and trying to gain intel of maybe where those bucks were back in the fall for you can kind of key on those areas next year. How do you kind of go from each season of your scouting? Yeah. Uh, the best time to scout buck bedding is going to be right immediately after gun season in Pennsylvania. Now, a lot of the beds though, you'll find, don't look very fresh like some will you know especially if you have snow on the ground some of them will stand out but then some of the bedding like say you might have a lot of gun pressure in an area um he may not have been using that bedding a lot during gun season because i had a lot of pressure but you'll still notice some bedding you know maybe from october or you know some other time but then so the beds don't always stick out like a sore thumb um they're not always like beat down no leaves in them because different, you know, different spots can turn out at different times of the year. Um, but you know, last, last year, right after gun season ended, uh, I pursued several areas, um, very heavily to learn betting better. In fact, I mean, I don't know how long you guys have been following me, but one of the biggest deer that I was scouting actually walked right up on in his bed and filmed with my cell phone. So, I mean, the, that was just like, that was like hitting a home run that day. Not only did I, uh, you know, get a better feel on what he's doing in his bedding, but I actually got to catch him in his bed. Yeah, so I remember, um, I actually do remember you posting that. Do you remember? Yep, yep. I do. Yep. And actually that deer this year is probably the biggest deer we got on camera. I posted him a lot, like early in the daylight. He's like super wide, with big brow tines. Um, 
he's he blew up this year too. So it's just it's just like really cool to know that like I pursued a certain deer, you know, right after the season real heavily and you know, and some of that scouting starting to still pay off and and knowing that he blew up and he's probably gonna be the best deer that we have on camera this year. So like I said, postseason scouting is the best time and then also just for the fact that you can get away with so much. I mean, yeah, I did end up spooking that buck, but he had how many months to forget about it versus you don't want to go in there right before the season. Not saying every time you bump a buck, you know, you ruin it one time, but it's also hard to go into an area one time and figure it all out. You know, a lot of times I'm going into an area three, four, five days in a row, learning every square inch of it. And best way to do that without ruining anything is going to be right after gun season or, if you have a lot of snow, then I'll go in like early spring once the snow melts. Now, once you find this buck bed, so you, maybe you go after gun season, you do your scouting yeah. in your area, you find a buck bed. Now, yeah. what's the next step in your process of figuring out what direction that deer is going to take, you know, where the food sources is? Are you kind of just circling that area, looking maybe where the, the acorn crop was for that year, especially if you're on a mountain and there's no ag fields? Or are you just kind of circulating, looking for scrapes and rubs and, and kind of getting the direction that that deer went? If you've confirmed the bedding, um, you don't really have to look for food sources because, you know, generally – that buck's not going to leave that area a lot during the daylight. He's going to stick to that area. Usually what I do is I just cluster the perimeter with cameras. That was my, um, that was going to be my next, try. yeah, that's going to yes. be my next question about that. So uh, yeah. dive into that, dude. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've done is I look for any trails, signs, scrapes, kind of on the perimeter of that bedding. Um, last year, that one buck, you know, that I was hunting crazy 12, um, I think I had like 20, around 25 cameras all around this bedding area. And I kid you not, there'd be times, you know, maybe I go two weeks without checking them. I got 25 cameras all around this bedding area and he's only on three or four cameras, but it's almost every day. Jeez. Like, and I mean, literally it's not like, I'm not saying every buck's the same. They're all individuals, but you will most of the time notice patterns and, routes that he he prefers to take more um basically once you've really you know found a buck that has consistent bedding because you know another thing we could jump on later is not all bucks have just one bedding area either but you know when you have a buck that has a consistent bedding area say less than a half mile wide or you know you the smaller the betters is going to be better for you but um once you've been able to cluster cameras around that bedding area like I said, finding trails and sign and things like that. That's when you just start to dial in and get a better feel on where, you know, how you're going to hunt them. When do you start doing the, the clusters? Um, I'm already clustering some like this year, you know, I've held out because I mean, last year going into the season, I already knew the deer I was going to hunt that crazy 12. So I didn't really cluster a lot around any other bedding areas, but his, so this year, since he died last year, um, I'm kind, you know, I kind of left my options open a little bit more and I'm starting to get to the point where, like I told you first, it's like picking the deer that I'm going to hunt. And then I have three or four that, you know, I'm confident that I have enough history with and, you know, know their bedding and, and that kind of stuff where, you know, I'll probably, I'm probably going to start clustering literally within a week or two as we speak, you know, it, it's been, 
it's been on my mind. Like it's you guys know, I mean, you're working guys in that, you know, I have a landscaping business child. Like I'm trying to, you know, promote my business, check cameras, deal with family. It's, it's right at the time when I should be doing it. I might be a little bit behind schedule, but it'll, that work will be done here soon and I won't be too late either. Yeah. Now, obviously the key thing is once you, you, you're in on a deer and you, you find the bedding, you know, there's an X amount of yardage from where you got to be. Right. Yep. And yep. it's, it's important to, that's the, that to me, that's like the main thing you find that, that core area, you got to be within that because like you said, they're not getting up as much. Where do yep. you find, where do you find that? I don't know. Like what's the correct, like they're kinking their armor. Like how mm-hmm. do you, like once you, 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 you get in there, okay. You know, you come out with your entry exit route and you can even talk about that here. Um, yep. you, you know, where you're entering to, to this specific spot. What, where do you find that kink in the armor? Where are you setting up on? Is it like a staging area? Is it like, where, where are you going? Um, it's all based on the, on the, you know, the weather, like from what I've learned, if, if you don't have a cold front, mm-hmm. he's rarely coming out of that cover during the day. So you, if you're, you know, a lot of guys, you know, there's a cold front, but you're at work, it's Wednesday, you know, it's not the weekend, things like that happen. Um, so, you know, if you're a weekend hunter, a guy with limited time, um, and you're going to hunt around buck bedding, generally you got to probably get right in it somehow, because I find that a lot of these bucks, like I said, they don't come out of that cover until dark. Now, if you have a cold front, way different. Those deer will get up, they'll come out of their core bedding areas. They'll, you know, they'll go to other buck bedding areas, even in, you know, sometimes mid October, they'll even start to check out doe bedding areas. So it depends on the conditions, you know, that you're facing, but if it's typical October weather, you know, 60, 70 degrees, you got an evening to hunt. You got to get close to that bed. The problem I run into in the mountains is, you know, I get close to, I can get right near a buck's bed, but I can't get consistent wind anywhere. Yeah. So that, that's one of the biggest challenges I find is, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. Like I feel safer to set up 200 yards away, but then I don't have the confidence that I'm going to see him in the daylight. So but if you're, if you're a person that, you know, you're, you're able to have a flexible schedule and hunt, you know, when the weather's right, cold fronts especially, you know, just getting on the perimeters of that bedding area is, is a lot safer bet. And just from my observations over the years, they will definitely, they'll spend more time during the day on a cold front outside of their bedding than they will in. That's what I see. So something important to keep in mind. Now, going off off of that, if you are, say, call it the weekend warrior, right? Someone that has a job and, yep. you know, maybe we're only hunting Saturdays, which is very similar to Jeremy and I, yeah. and we kind of take our time, you know, more towards the rut. But you, you have this buck bed, you kind of know his travel route a little bit. You've done your scouting with the cameras. You know, are you letting yep. your camera dictate of maybe when you go in there? I mean, you only have Saturday, so you can't be picky on, yep. you know, which day of the week. And you yep. want to play the best wind. You're not going to go in there just on a Saturday because the wind's not right. But right. if it yep. is a decent win, are you, you going for it? Or are you just kind of maybe waiting for for that perfect Saturday to go in there after that buck? I mean, the way I look at it is um, I only see these bedding areas generally being good from early October 
to October 20th at the latest. A lot of these bucks start to shift and move closer to doe bedding by mid-October. So if you're just a weekend hunter, you might only have two days. I say go for it. Um, Heck, even if the wind may not be that right to hunt it, I think it's worth a gamble because you got two hunts to hunt that deer. Hey, you never know. I mean, if that's a deer that you've put all your time and energy and scouting into, I say just get as close as you can to that bed or bedding area without spooking them and get right in there and swing for the fence is what I would consider doing. Nice. Cause that was my next question was going to build off of, of exactly what the two of you said was to say, what's that time frame? Is it from early October once our season begins until like you said, Steve, that the 20th time frame, And cause in between there, like last year, it was around the 18th, 16th to the 18th. We got that cold front and we had yep. some friends their their bucks hit the ground hard and buddy, Tim, he had a really cool encounter where it was like, was it three days in a row? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had like three days in a row where he even sh- saw an older gentleman swing a hundred yard crossbow shot at this deer, and he was like, "Oh my gosh!" It just, <laughs> it was, dude, it was nuts. And he ended up being a really cool, funky deer. But yeah, like that was my next question: was Are you going from that beginning of, of October to early twenty twenties of October? Yep. And I'll know when the rut shift happens. Now the rut shift doesn't always happen like a light switch and every buck shifts at the same time, but maybe 40, 50% of them do. Usually what happens is that first good cold front you get around mid-October, it could even be 12th, 13th or the 20th. Usually it just, and I'm not saying the rut is triggered by cold weather, but it just seems like, you know, of all my years hunting and I keep track of a lot of data that you get that cold front. And once those bucks start, getting up and moving around more in the daylight because of that front, they don't want to stop. Like once they've convinced themselves to kind of start that search phase, they don't really cut back. Now you might get that cold front for three days and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden it warms up 70, 80 degrees. Well, he's probably left his core bedding area and shifted closer to does now, but he's just probably not moving a lot in the day until we get another, you know, cold snap. Right. But, um, honestly, I, I just know mainly just from my cameras, like, you know, when you really are a hundred percent sure, you know, where a buck is betting, you know, you've, you've kind of clustered the cameras like I, you know, like I do. And all of a sudden he just disappears mid October. <laughs> That's the rut shift. Yeah. And don't plan, don't go back to that spot. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, rarely do those spots turn out again until maybe like post rut, you know, he might come back in there once he's done breeding or whatever, but they generally shut right off. Yeah, that's that's good. So when you see that that rit, rut shift going on, what is your focus? How do you change? You know your tactics and your game plan. I mean, obviously you're going to go more towards that doe bedding, but can you kind of yeah. go over how you set that up? And are you looking for the doe bedding after the season, similar to the buck bedding, and and how you kind of come up with that game plan to shift from the that transition in the season? Sure. I mean, what you know, what you'll see with me is you're going to notice I get a ton of buck pictures in the summer and then things are going to really slow down. Like, you know, early fall, September through mid October, you don't, I don't post as many pictures just because what we're doing is you guys know, we run a ton of cameras. So, you know, last year we ran a hundred some this year, I think we'll run probably around 200. So all those summer cameras for the most part, are going to be shifted to where we know there's does because 
all my guiding is rut guiding. I don't do early season guiding. So basically all we're really scouting for, for our clients is patterning does in areas because we're, I mean, it's, it's just simple, just like you or me or wherever. Once the rut comes, I mean, the deer guys or men, they want one thing yep. and they're going to, once they find where it's at, they continue to go to those places. Um, so they're patterning does just how we would try to pattern deer. And that's, that's just kind of, you know, what you got to do is, uh, if you can pattern does in those areas, it will help, but, uh, I don't want to bring, you know, go on too long about this, but I will say hunting a particular buck in the rut is way, way harder. It's actually the hardest time to hunt a particular buck than any other time of the year. And we really don't pursue like one particular buck heavy once the rut comes. So right. just something to keep in mind after the rut shift, you've really, you've really made your chances much harder. It is time for this week's Vortex Nation Highlight. Hey everybody, Zach Lennon here with this week's Vortex Highlight. Today I want to talk about mental toughness and what we can do as hunters in the off season to better our mental toughness. Things we can do, put our, like putting ourselves in situations to make ourselves more mentally tough. Now going for a hike in the rain, pushing yourself to do those things make yourself uncomfortable push through it hiking in the dark you know if you uh if you have some sort of a fear of the dark push yourself make yourself good for a hike with no flashlight even if you've got to do it with somebody else for a couple times and then push yourself to do it by yourself our bodies will do whatever we make it do but it's our head what we got going on in our brain that stops us from doing things and if we can overcome these fears and push ourselves to do these things, come crunch time during hunting season, if you're sitting in your tree stand, you've been there all day and it's rainy and you're wet and you want to go put new dry clothes on or it's super cold, you just want to go get warm. But, you know, if you get down at a tree stand, you know, you might not kill that buck that comes through. If you're out west, you're super tired or, you know, it's cold and you just want to go back out of town and get warmed up you want to go back to camp and start a fire if you're not on the mountain or if you're not in a tree stand most likely you're not going to kill a deer unless so, just so happens one you know strolls through camp putting ourselves in these situations in the off season is going to better ourselves make ourselves more mentally tough come crunch time come time make it happen i want to give you an example and and i want your personal hunting kind of strategy for this like what what would you do or what would you even tell a client it it is the rut right we, we're we're smack dab in, into the middle of it you you're around deer you're around the doe but you just seem to be continuously just right outside of it like you could see it happening you're 80 yards away and you know the chaos is breaking out in front of you and the deer leave they kind of go up the next ridge and maybe you, you're staying put just because you're, you're holding out. This is your first day of vacation. Those deer come back down maybe a couple hours later, right at first at the end of light and you see them, they're kind of in that same vicinity. Are you mm -hmm. the next day, the same thing happens. You push in further because you yes. saw them go that area. And again, they're further away that afternoon. Cause you're all day sitting. What's your game plan? Are you getting down, moving to a new spot or are you staying put? What I, what I do and what I tell my clients is we make that move way before even the next day. Now, a lot of times I'll get a guy that he doesn't, you know, a lot of guys, older guys don't do well in like mobile, like setups, but if you have a mobile setup and you see 
you know, cause it's big woods where we hunt. We don't have a ton of deer, but say like, uh, I'll tell my client, if you see a buck nose down on a doe, hundred yards away, immediately move your stand to within, you know, bow range of that, that doe's trail, because a lot of what the rut is, you know, if, especially if you have a hot doe, you're going to see like a consistent, consistent activity in one, in one certain area, you know, her scents all over in a particular spot or a certain trail. So I would suggest making that move as soon as you start to see some kind of consistent activity, you know, one deer doesn't really say much Two deer. Okay. Now you got me thinking three doing the same thing. I'm down and right there right now. So make that move that day. Cause another thing that happens is, um, even though we do like to hunt a stand sometimes, you know, three days in a row, but if deer really are hanging around a, a certain small area a lot and, you know, they start to catch on to your scent or whatever, then you'll see those push more and more away from, you know, they'll sense they're being hunted. That's why it's better to jump the gun before they really know that you're there. Now, is there a certain direction or wind direction that you're looking for? I know I've listened to other podcasts and seen other videos of, you know, some people like to be on the south end of doe bedding with a certain wind and, and, and see the most activity that way. Is there any wind direction or uh, part of that doe bedding that you would prefer to sit on uh, versus the other, or are you just playing the wind no matter what it is? Um, in the rut, we rarely go by what the wind's doing because we'll see bucks like, you know, even does too. Like in the big woods, it's not like a pattern where they go from the field up the ridge to bedding. Like you'll see deer moving from all different directions. And, you know, I talk a lot about in the mountains when there's so much inconsistent wind anyway. So you throw those two variables in there and then in the rut, we just, we kind of think, you know, it's just, it's almost impossible to, to hunt by the wind. Now, granted, like if you were hunting, like, I don't know, like a food source, an apple tree or something like where, you know, for sure, 80, 90% of the deer are coming into a small spot. That's a little bit different, but a lot of our rut setups, you can see deer in front of you, behind you left and right. So you just kind of let the wind do its thing. And you just got to get a little lucky that when that deer does come by, it's not downwind of you. Yeah. I like that, man. Good stuff. Well, we're going to keep going. I love this. This is, this is, this is firing me up, man. All right. So the next thing that I, 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 it's kind of going backwards and then a little bit of just different topics, but what are, what's your approach to logging roads, clear cuts, staging areas? Like though, you know, obviously those are big three key things that you hear, whether it's on YouTube, on podcasts and other mm -hmm. guys have different philosophies. And for us, I would say, I mean, chime in, Dimitri, on where we're hunting on public on one spot, there's really not, it's, it's more mountain. It's, it's, it's that. Then on the other side where we do hunt, there are logging roads and some clear cuts that, that we do have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially the state force in our area, they, they are doing a lot of cutting brushing and, you know, there's a lot of thickets, right. And they're actually going in there and doing some prescribed burns and taking a lot of those thickets out where they where they have a guy running a machine and which was a were huge for buck bedding uh in those big thickets i mean they were so nasty that you couldn't even get in there and there's no trees you would hunt anyway but they are trying to bring them down and and uh 
actually do some burns and get some new growth in those areas, which is good for long term. But they also are doing some logging as well. So you're going to have some clear cuts in that area as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I love logging. I love hunting around clear cuts. Um, when you have clear cutting, you know, logging, all that combination, what you're giving to the deer is better cover and better food sources. A lot of times you'll find even higher numbers of deer in those areas because they're harder to hunt in those areas. Um, you know, they have the cover, the food, they're much healthier. So, you know, if I was uh, going to give someone a tip on, you know, where to look or, you know, where to hunt, anywhere you have clear cutting, um, even variances in, in ages, like you're always going to have good, potentially really big deer in those areas, better deer numbers. Um, so I think it is key if you can, if you have access to those kind of spots to definitely focus on them. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, all your focus should just be on that, but I definitely always, um, have a few clear cuts in mind that I'm hunting. And, uh, honestly, most of the biggest deer that I've ever come on have been, you know, lived their most of their lives in or around clear cuts. Now I know I've, I've seen you post on Instagram and even actually more so recently, you, you throwing up those mock scrapes how important mm-hmm. is it to go ahead and, and do something now? And like, what does that do for you come fall? Yeah. Um, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, it's some, when I say postseason, literally it's like day after gun season. <laughs> so I'll start making mock scrapes. Then you'd be amazed. Like people don't realize the intelligence deer have, like I've had deer hit a scrape, a mock scrape of mine, say like maybe he still had antlers in January and you know didn't get pictures of him for months and then all of a sudden august he's back at that scrape i honestly don't think he just randomly came up on that scrape they remember these things i mean when we go in the woods we're we think we know the woods you're stepping right into their house like as if as if it was your house yeah um so the longer you or you know the more time you can give something like a mock scrape or you know anything you're going to do to try to get deer to come to it, you know, a certain spot or some kind of attracting or whatever, the more time that you give them to find it, uh, you know, months in advance, usually the better results you're going to have in the long run. Um, I it's honestly, I can see it like with my dog, like, well, uh, anytime, even, you know, I take them to go check a camera, like it might be, you know, in October and then maybe it's a test camera and we, you know, we gave it till January, like even my dog, I don't even have to take him or show him like he'll remember exactly where that camera was. So I can't imagine, you know, how good a deer or especially a mature buck remembers these kind of things. So it's, you'll definitely have way better results getting a lot of this work done, you know, way ahead of time rather than, you know, all now or even closer to hunting season. Now, are those mock scrapes, is that something you're just using for intel with your cameras to see what's around, or is that something that you actually hunt in the fall? A lot of them I definitely hunt in the fall because, I mean, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, I'm a big October hunter, and in my opinion, October is the best month for scrapes, and many of the scrapes, in fact, probably the biggest buck I ever shot was from a mock scrape I think I made, like, midsummer. Um so, uh, yeah, you might have them just hitting it a little bit this time of the year, but then when they really start to actively seek scrapes in October, 
um, he's going to remember your mock scrape if he already hasn't been, you know, starting to hit it more consistently. He doesn't really, I mean, they don't know, obviously, that I'm that it's a mock scrape. It just becomes a scrape, um, and the deer just start to take over and do the work. So uh, it's absolutely a dynamite place to hunt if it's in the right spot and you're hunting at the right time of the year. What is your setup for your mock scrapes? Um, you know, usually it's most of mine are either with rope or beach limbs. Um, if you're going to use rope, I find that you got to, uh, definitely got to get the rope out there further in advance. Not every deer seems to be comfortable with rope or interested in it. Now, when they do start to like it, like I swear they like it more than anything. I got a buck the other day. He's got like split brows. He's got the rope in his mouth and he's tugging on it. So, I mean, once once they really get familiar with it, they love it. And the good thing about rope too is it's very durable. Like you can hang a branch, but you know, deer obviously nibble on the branch and they can easily break no matter what you're using. So, um, if you if you have you know the time and you're able to get out you know months in advance, rope mock scrapes work you know really really well. If not, um, if I want to get a scrape going in a hurry, or maybe I make a mock scrape in October, I like to use a big fluffy beach limb because, you know, I talk a lot about deer using them. I feel like people kind of lose respect for deer's uh, visibility. Um, many times I'll be sitting in a stand and I'll have a, you know, beach limb mock scrape and the deer's like 60 yards away and I'm putting no scent out or anything and they'll just see that beach limb, you know, they'll look and it's just exactly what they want to find that time of the year because it's got all the leaves on it and that and, you know, versus a little piece of rope 50 yards away might not have the visual like a beach limb full of leaves. So, um, you know, mainly, you know, beach limbs or mock scrapes is is kind of what I use. If you don't have beach limbs, anything that holds leaves really well after it's cut works really well. Awesome. So you're not using any attractant or any sense when you make your mock scrapes? Never. I mean, I can't, years ago I used to use scent a lot, but two things about scents I don't like, like when you go to hunt, you know, say if I, it's in October and I'm hunting the scrape, if I want to put scent on that scrape where I think the deer are already coming to, I have to stand there and put deer scent on the scrape. So what, what I've seen happen many times is they head towards that scrape, even 20, 30 yards away and they pick up your scent. So, you know, I want to avoid the spots where I feel it's going to be where I'm going to get a shot at a, you know, at a buck. And then secondly, not bragging, but my mock scrapes are generally so active that there's natural scent being put on them almost every day. So why do I want to possibly, put a foreign scent that may not be quite familiar when deer are constantly putting natural scent there. And I just kind of leave it be and just, you know, it's just a pure result of, of the deer doing it themselves. Steve, are you more mobile than you are set stand or what's, what's your, uh, your bread and butter? I'm way more about mobile. Um, I don't really like set stands a lot. Um, many, many, many reasons. Um, you know, if you're a big woods hunter, number one is things always change from year to year, especially on public land. I mean, area might get logged, hunting pressure is going to change from year to year, food sources, just so many different things happen that, you know, I know a lot of guys, you know, this time of year already putting up stands. And if you don't have a really good feel and confidence that 
things are going to be exactly what they were last year. A lot of those set stands don't end up producing. So, um, you know, mobile stands are just way better for, you know, getting right in there quietly, easily, effectively on something fresh. Um, You know, like I brought up before, if the wind starts to switch or I see deer doing something different that I need to make a quick move, um, mobile is definitely not just uh, like the popular thing. Like it's popular because it's probably the best way to get it done. Um, so I mainly just use climbers just cause I have so many of them, but you know, <laughs> I'm all for people that use saddles and you know, whatever you can do to be mobile is going to definitely make you a more effective and successful hunter. Now say that the season's over, right? Um, so whether you harvested the deer you were after, or maybe you, you know, someone did. So that mature buck that was in the area, you found his bed the year previous, and you were hunting him throughout mm-hmm. the season. So you kind of had your trail cameras, you knew his pattern, you hunted him, whether you harvested that deer or someone else did. Uh, so you know he's not there and going to be in the area come next year, right? Now, when you're going out mm-hmm. and doing new scouting, do you feel that there's going to be deer or more mature bucks come move into the area and use similar beds, maybe not the same ones as that buck previous year, but going to kind of have a general same pattern as that deer, or you just start an an all new chess game with another deer? Because I know in our area there there's high rifle uh, pressure. So, so a lot of these deers we did talk about, there was one we feel is the same from last year, which is not usually the case. You know, a lot of these deer that get pushed out or there's um, regeneration of, of new deer moving in of mature bucks. So how do you go about that the next year moving forward from a new deer that you didn't even know was in the area? Sure. Um, a lot of your, especially if it was a mature buck and the habitat stays the same, you know, pressure, food sources are somewhat consistent. Um, those bedding areas will get used year after year until there's like a drastic change. I've had bucks like, you know, say I have a real mature buck. It's kind of taken over a bedding area and somehow he dies, whether he gets shot or whatever happens. And maybe I didn't even have a good buck in that general area that I even knew of. And then the next year, all of a sudden, here comes another giant just showing up in that spot. That happens a lot. Just because I talk about, like, a mature buck. I mean, yeah, even though maybe his core area, his bedding area is really small, like, he has a a range within his home. And there's other deer living outside of his main core area. And when they know that he died, Generally, what happens is the next most dominant deer, maybe within a mile or two, will shift in and start using that bedding area just because it's just like the most prime spot. It's like if you uh, if you uh, had access to any home you wanted in a, you know, a certain area, you didn't have to pay for it. You got to pick out the best spot for you and your family or, you know, best spot for you, say, if you're single or whatever, you're going to pick you're going to take that best spot if uh, if you know you can have it. And he knows that he can have it because he's the most dominant deer in the area. He gets whatever he wants. It's the place where he knows it's, he's the most safe and secure and has everything he needs. So definitely um, most of the time, if it's a prime bedding area, you're going to have them continue 
continue to produce every year. Like Dimitri said, we, we hunt in a very high hunter, you know, density area. And I mean, there's, mm-hmm. a, we, we see deer and I wouldn't say it's, it's not definitely not the, you know, what you're seeing and what you're used to seeing. Uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time, when we hunt an area and if there's minimum to no buck sign, how are you approaching that? But you know, deer are around like you, mm-hmm. like, you know, like you said, you might be, it might be that yeah. switch. It might be that that the 25th of October, the cold front's coming, you're around doe, you're starting to see like those little, you know, little basket sixes. And, but you know, there might be a good, one good spot where you start like, wow, that, you know, that's not from that little dinky guy, right. you know, what's, what's your approach? Like, what could you give individuals like Dimitri and I, and other people that kind of sure. have that similar, you know, challenge? Yeah. Um, generally, if it's a lower deer density area, especially buck density, and there's not a lot of competition, you're not going to see a lot of buck sign except where there's food sources because the bedding is more isolated, but where there's food is often more concentrated and more deer have to kind of be around each other in those areas. So that's when they start to throw up more sign. But when there's not a lot of deer moving through certain areas and, and, you know, especially bedding areas, they don't really have the need or want to, to make a lot of sign. Some of the best buck bedding areas I know, and you know related you know areas where i know there's just not a lot of deer i see the same results all the time sometimes there's no buck sign at all but uh there's a giant bedding in a certain spot he just has no real need to to really make a lot of sign in that area because he's for the most part the only deer that's kind of hanging around there but then when he crosses the valley and hits that oak ridge loaded with acorns and he's got 10 other deer using that as a food source then he's starts to make to there but yet that's probably the worst place to hunt so that's when you know when you've done enough scouting and got to know these areas really well you start to realize that you know you don't depend on that sign to show up to give you clues um you know you start to just get a feel for the areas you hunt and you find the bedding areas and uh and even if it's a new area you know that i scout you know if i just if i find the right visual the right cover and then I start to see big lone beds. That's pretty much all that I need to see. Yeah, I saw you posted about the end of June about checking trail cameras from like, I guess you were checking them from after the season. And I think you have a, it might even be an article coming out that you're writing. So if you don't want to go in depth, but you're yeah. calculating the best days of buck movement of during the daylight. Yeah. You know, what, what did you notice this past year for that? Has, is it something that like, is this a new thing for you to try to do? Or is this like kind of going off of the same couple of years? Like, Hey, this is kind of that time frame. or so, so the first part of that is talk a little bit about that. What were those key days? And then that Mm -hmm. second part of that is, you know, you're, you, you pick one day of your favorite day to hunt. Where are you going? What, what's that, what's that day? Okay. Well, first I will add, you know, just to kind of let people know what I'm doing is it's probably been going on for about four or five years where I just, you know, I started to notice like tendencies and like certain weather conditions, moon phases, different times of the year when the cameras would be, you know, showing a lot more than other times. And I was just like, man, if I really started to record this data all in all, I think it'd make me a lot better hunter too, and could learn a ton from that. So um, really this past year was the most dedicated year, you know, we ran a hundred some cameras. There's a ton of, ton of Intel and data to collect off them. So you also don't want to, you feel like if you're not taking Intel off that, you're probably wasting a tremendous gift. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, but really the past couple years, I've taken it really seriously. And then especially this last year, um, you know, we had like several good cold fronts in October and those were the big triggers to, you know, the daytime buck movement and what we saw in our cameras. Um, and you know, really, I would say if I remember right, I think it was the best stretch of days we had was October 24th to November 3rd. Yep. I'd have to double check, but I'm, I'm about 90% yeah, you're, sure. Yeah, you're that's in what there. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and, and really that was the best stretch of like cold weather we had for maybe that cruising searching phase of the rut. And that's it. That's a time, but that's actually my favorite time to bow hunt because there's very few does and heat. And what you'll find is if the weather's right, you know, you have the right cool weather and it's not 70, 80 degrees, you'll see tremendous, you know, buck daytime activity then because they're just cruised and dying to find that first hot doe. And that's kind of what I think happened last year, especially according to our data. Then what happened after like the third of November is uh, we had some really unseasonably warm weather and it just shut right, right down. Plus, I also think we're in the lockdown phase. You combine that warm weather with lockdown and there's not even a whole lot of chasing going on either. They're too hot. You know, they're just kind of laying low and taking it easy. And then nothing really seemed to pick up until about mid-November. It never peaked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It never peaked as good as what um, it did in late October, but mid November we saw a peak. And then, you know, according to our data, um, once bear, and this is every year, but once bear season comes in this area, our daytime, you know, buck pictures on our cameras way down. Like they, they don't, maybe they think that it's deer season or, you know, however you, whatever goes on, all I know is all that pressure, you know, you got bear drives, guys screaming, shooting people. There's more bear hunters now than probably what there is deer hunters in places. So it just really has a major effect on, you know, the deer movement daytime, you know, especially in general. And that's exactly what our, uh, you know, our data is showing us. Um, try to remember everything you asked and as far as favorite, my favorite day of yep. <laughs> My favorite day of the year, if I only had one day a year to hunt, it would be Halloween day. Um, it's, it's right before what I consider like possible lockdown phase. Uh, I've had some of my best hunts on Halloween. Uh, I've killed some really nice deer on Halloween. So, uh, as much as I love to go out and eat, eat candy on trick or treating, <laughs> I'd definitely rather be in a deer stand as late as possible that day. So, um, and if, if there, I know there's a series of questions. So if I, if I missed yep. definitely uh, Halloween and, you know, last year was, it was definitely those cold fronts in October were way better off for deer hunters versus what we were seeing in November for the most part. Wonderful. Go ahead. Now, just one more question kind of <laughs> yeah. going off that. I mean, I, right. I can always go all day, but it's like, uh, not to interrupt you, but it's like you're performing a concert. You get that just one, yeah, more, just song. one more, you know, which is, is this is an important question. I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast several times, especially during hunting season because does go into heat different times. Right. And, and not yep. every year area is going to gonna have those does going heat and i obviously every state's going to be different but you know a lot of times i like to talk within pennsylvania right and and i feel like kind of based what you said you have a lot of different opinion what other people have is what their favorite day is you know and i i like yep. you said 
the rut activity picked up kind of mid-November, and that's kind of what we saw. But we didn't really sure. quite see as much of that cruising phase in that late October. You know, I, I, I the Halloween, I hunted that Saturday. I definitely saw, you know, probably my first buck activity during daylight in our area. Um, but can you kind of expand off that of what you feel like as far as when does are going in heat? Do they go in heat on the same time frame each year if it's the same doe um is the final question just kind of what your thoughts on that uh before we wrap up sure and first you know another thing i'll add to that if you're not fully aware of the rut shift and when it happens uh you know you have to totally change your your spots and your hunting style once the rut starts like you know you might be thinking okay it's october 25th i should be hunting you know, near a buck bedding area on these active scrapes when the rut shift already can happen. And then you already got to be in those rut areas. Um, you know, like I said before, there's that transition where you have to know when should I be hunting like rub scrapes, buck bedding, stuff like that around core areas, or when should I be hunting around those? And I've talked to a lot of hunters that it sounds like not saying you guys, what you saw, but a lot of hunters, uh, the shift was a little bit early last year where, they had like some really good action up to a certain point in October. Generally, it seems like around when we had that cold front around the 17th. And then a lot of guys really struggled until a certain time, like mid November, because they, that when they saw that activity mid October, it kind of made them hang in those areas late October, but that was, that was it for those spots and the rut shift happened. So if you're not knowing when that rut shift is occurring in your area, you can definitely have a tough time, you know, late in October because you have to know, you know, like I said, do I hunt around rub scrapes and buck bedding or do I hunt around does? So that's, you know, a real key point to that. As far as, um, you know, does coming into heat at a certain week or day of the year or do certain spots turn on within a week, we do not really see that down to a week. But we hunt the same doe groups every year. Um, fortunately, a lot of places where we hunt, there's not a lot of does being taken. So we might have six, eight does that we've kind of been watching for, honestly, I think some of these does could even be 10 years old. <laughs> um, so, uh, so we hunted around these doe groups, but it does seem to be within a two to three week period. And that's why we like to not give up on a spot like after after three days um and even if that area was dead we'll give it a week and then come back uh rather than saying you know this spot's done because if we know that if we're confident that doe group none of those does have come into heat yet we know it's within like a two to three week window when one of those girls comes into heat and that area is going to turn on so um i don't like i said i don't see it being specific days because we've tried that we've we've said all right this doe group last year we hunted for the rut and it was November, say fifth. And we go back there November 5th. And now you see is the same five does and no bucks. But then the next week, uh, you know, around the 12th, bam, it's on fire. One of them turns into heat. So I think it's within a two to three week window, but as far as the day or the week, 
at least from what we've seen, I, I don't see that being accurate. Awesome, man. Well, Steve, I appreciate yeah. you. Well, I'm going to say this is part one because we will have you on again, my man. And uh, man, I, I, I want to be going all night. Yeah, we, we, we'll be. We could go all night, and uh, hell, it would be awesome to come down and visit you and record one live. And I would love to even yeah. talk about how you know you're going to incorporate Spartan Forge and in, uh, into this yep. season too as well. So there's, man, I feel like there are a lot of key things that we didn't even scratch the surface on. And I greatly appreciate you coming on. Sure. Where could people find you follow along? If I'm, I'm sure they already are, but where could people find you and uh, about your information? Yep. Uh, just easily find me uh, either on Instagram or Facebook. It's just Shirk's Guide Service, S-H-E-R-K apostrophe S. Um, or uh, I have a website, shirksguideservice.com. Uh, I always say it on any podcast or any time, you know, I'm reaching out to new hunters. Best way to get a hold of me is social media. I'm not a real good website guy. Sometimes even email, it might be three or four <laughs> days, but I always got my phone on me. So I get a generally get a message on Facebook or Instagram and I can get right back to you. So that would be your best bet. So, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I definitely love to, to even get you guys if you want to come up here to our camp or whatever and uh, yep. do another one of these i'd be all for it awesome man well everybody go check out steve amazing individual great content great information wealth of knowledge appreciate you coming on till next time everybody antler up And that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. I would like to thank you so much for checking us out. Be sure to head over to antlerupoutdoors.com, our Facebook page, Instagram, YouTube, and spend some time with your family. Get those brownie points. Get ready for the upcoming season. Until next time, Antler Up. Also, if you are interested in being a part of our Vortex Nation highlight, please go ahead and send me a direct message on Instagram. We'll get you hashed out and get you covered and being featured on our upcoming episodes. We'll greatly appreciate that support, and we look forward to working with some of you on that. Thank you.